Welcome back to the Law Unscripted, where we talk about everything about the law and the legal system that you never knew, never understood, and no one ever told you. Today, we are focusing on negligence, what it means, what in the world is the definition of negligence, and how it applies with the law. I'm Virginia Tarani. And I'm Chelsea Rogers. And we are with Tarani Law LLC, because you never need a lawyer. till you do. Okay, first big announcement. Um, yes, we're so super excited. Is officially the law office of Tarani Law LLC has opened for business. Give some snaps. It's so exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. So January 1st of 2023, this is the first Tuesday of the new year, 2023. And it is, I guess, two, two or three days now that it's officially been open for business. I am yes. on my own. We are with Tarani Law. Chelsea is our legal assistant. Um, she's still in law school right now, but she is working with the office and assuming she passes the bar. <laughs> We're going to hire her full-time as an attorney, but until then, you can find her working with us on the podcast through the Law Unscripted that we have here, as well as the Legal Weekly Wine and assisting with the business. Yeah. Check us out on our socials. Um, you might just get a comment back from me, so you can like, follow, subscribe. We're on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all the major platforms, and we would love to you know, get some feedback from you, any comments, likes, and shares we really appreciate. Yeah, so thank you. Thanks to everyone who's supporting us and following us. We are super excited and our dogs are sort of excited. Um, for those of you watching or listening, we do still have the dogs involved in the program. I've got to my left, I've got Willow, my little white Merle uh, Cocker Spaniel, and Charlie, the golden Cocker Spaniel, just hopped off my lap and he'll be back and forth. He might hit the microphone, but that's the way he goes. I might try to bribe him. Charlie. He does Success. love Chelsea. Success. So you can even, you can see, I mean, you can see them live here, but you can even see them on the the website. So www.taranilawllc.com is the official website for the business. You can find us. You can find out all about what we do. Um, I specialize in traffic accident injury law, and you can check us out there. Yes. So. All right. Down to business. Down huh? to business. Okay. Negligence. Right. Negligence. So let, let's go in the way, way back machine. So, <laughs> Starting from the beginning. Right. So this is first semester of law school torts. Yes. Negligence. Now, if I can remember correctly, don't tell the bar examiners this, right? Like there, there's elements of negligence, right? Yeah. And when we talk about, sorry about the microphone, when we talk about negligence, we are, and, or the elements, right. we're talking about four things. Four things you have to prove. But of course, it's law school and the law, so they have to give it a fancy term. And the fancy term they have used is elements. What are the four mm -hmm. elements you have to prove in order to show that someone is negligent? And right. it's really just, what are the four things you have to prove? Okay. So, Virginia, what are the four things you have to prove? <laughs> Hopefully, Chelsea will know all of these things for the bar. Okay. I'll start with the easy one. Okay, go. I'll start with the easy one. Duty. Yes. Duty. Um, so you have to prove that someone had a duty of care. Okay. That's the law school answer, right? Like, oh, you have a duty of care. What does that mean? Okay. And duty of care basically means you're responsible for, here I am the law school answer for not being negligent, but here we're 
we're it talking depends. about negligence and it depends. You have a duty to take care of somebody. I think that's the best answer for it is you're responsible for making sure bad things don't happen to other people. Okay. Um, so a doctor is a really easy discussion for duty of care is a doctor has a duty to do no harm, right? Right. They have to take care of their patients. They have to, um, make sure that they're well, that they're getting well, that they're prescribing the right medications, that they're doing the right medical procedures, that they're taking care of their patient and doing no harm. So that's an easy example of someone who has a duty of care to another person. So, and correct me if I'm wrong from yep. what I remember, that's a specialized duty of care. And there are certain relationships. So a doctor-patient relationship, I yeah. remember like a, a, a child-parent relationship have, has a different duty of care than you might have just for a stranger on the street. But absolutely, even for strangers on the street, there is a duty of care. It's just like when you're driving, right? Especially when you're driving. And that's, that's us is yeah. traffic accident law. You have a duty to obey the rules of the road, right? If you get in a car and you drive, you were supposed to not only take care of yourself in your own car, mm -hmm. but you were supposed to take care of the other people on the road. You have to not speed, you know, merge correctly, drive correctly, not do something wrong that would hit another car, hit another person, injure someone. So you have, as a driver, a constant duty of care to mm -hmm. other people on the road. Right, like, right, even past the speeding, which would be a crime, civil, criminal, we talked about it a lot in the last couple of weeks, but things like operating your vehicle mm -hmm. with caution, that, you know, that's not that's the civil part of it, right? And that's right. what would be, you have a duty to operate your vehicle in a safe way, which is yes. kind of vague, but no, but it's, I don't think it is vague. I think it's exact yeah. is you do have a duty to operate a vehicle with caution. Mm -hmm. That is your job as a driver. Um, right. and I think it's a good example of what a duty of care is mm -hmm. because it's to the general public. It's not to your daughter, your son, right. your patient. It's not the specialized one. Mm -hmm. It's just random person on the street. You have a duty to make sure that you don't do something really stupid or illegal that would harm that person. Okay. So that's our first element or our yes. first thing, whatever element. No, call it's, element. it's right. The first element that you have to prove in negligence this. that you had a duty, there, somebody had a duty of care mm -hmm. to protect you or cause you no harm. Okay. So what's our second? The second element that you have to prove in a negligence case is that someone breached that duty of care. And again, that's really fancy terms. It's the law school terms of breach of duty of care. I know. I, I didn't realize how much law school has impacted me until I'm trying to think of other ways to phrase this. And there's just a blank. Um, I think it's taken over uh, my brain. But so when someone breaches, that's that they didn't use their vehicle in a safe way. Use their vehicle? Okay. And um, they operate. didn't operate their vehicle in a safe way um, would be a breach, right? It is. Yeah. It's when you, you messed up, right. right? You didn't take care of somebody. You were unsafe. You violated a law. You violated mm -hmm. a rule. And because of that, and we'll get to this, this is part of an mm -hmm. element, but because of that, someone was harmed. So right. you had a duty to drive safely. You didn't drive safely. You sped, you rear-ended somebody, you merged incorrectly, you hit a pedestrian. Mm -hmm. That's a breach of your duty of care because you had the duty, right, to care for others, to drive safely, mm -hmm. 
not to do something stupid and not to break the law while you drove. Right. Okay. So here's a small part because I know we have, we, we've done our two elements, then we'll go to two more. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about these elements, these are things you have to prove or you have to demonstrate to like bring this cause of action, right? So what right. do you really use to sort of, I guess, what evidence or what do you put forward to say there was a duty? That seems pretty simple, but because we all have this, you know, duty to each other. But what evidence would you use to say, oh, they breached this duty? So especially, uh, again, the traffic accidents, we do that, but they are easy, at at least in terms of understanding negligence. Mm -hmm. And they're a very common type of lawsuit. A large majority of lawsuits, civil lawsuits are for traffic accidents, right? Let's be honest, is how many accidents are there throughout the country on a daily basis? And then how many actually end up in court? It's a lot. Right, right. So, and I think people are familiar with it. So is it Mm -hmm. essentially for that type of case, do you just say, well, there was an accident that shows that there was a breach of the duty that simple? Yes. Okay. Pretty much that you simply, it's hard because a lot of people say, well, what is the one thing you have to show? Well, all I have to show is he was driving. Right. That's literally it. Is I say, okay, in my opening statement, John Smith was driving on the same road as my victim, Jane Doe. Mm-hmm. That establishes immediately that because he's a driver, he, has a duty. he had a duty of care. He had a duty to drive safely. Mm-hmm. As a driver, he had this duty. He crashed into Jane Doe. He breached that duty. He clearly did something that violated the law, violated the road rules, mm-hmm violated just the duty of care to watch out and drive safely and not injure or harm somebody else while you were driving. It's, it's much more simple than they tell you in law school In law school, they're going to give you 20 different cases where it looks like you have to prove to the jury a very, very specific thing and put up spreadsheets Mm -hmm. and, you know, demonstrative aids All I have to show is he was a driver and he crashed. Right. I think that that negligence seemed so complicated in torts. (laughs) One, because anybody who's taken torts, it's like all of these cases from the 1800s and lots of railroads, people doing lots of things on or near uh, train car tracks and then having the most preposterous sort of injuries like that sums up torts. And so they use those to try and demonstrate negligence. But I think negligence could be taught in an hour if they would have just used a car accident case. It, it, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> and that's why we're doing this right is in law school. It seems so very complicated. And in practice, it's not. It really isn't. Are okay. you a doctor? OK, you have a duty of care to your patients. What would a reasonable doctor do? (laughs) Exactly. What would a reasonable doctor do? What would a reasonable doctor not do? How are they supposed to take care of their patients? That's a duty. They didn't take care of the patient. That is a breach of duty. Mm -hmm. You're a driver. You have a duty to other drivers and people on the road. You hit somebody or another car or another vehicle or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You breach that duty. It is truly that simple. Um, there, you know, yes, you're going to get these random (laughs) railroad cases. You're going to get some that are a little bit more complicated, Mm -hmm. but for the vast majority of lawsuits brought in America, the first two elements, the first two things that you have to prove 
in a negligence case are pretty simple. Yeah, and you, so there's not a lot of argument. Okay, so what are our next two elements that are a little bit more difficult? All right, and it, before we do that, negligence. Yeah. I think negligence on the whole really needs to be defined because sure. we're talking about what you have to prove for negligence. But negligence is basically you saying that someone did you wrong. Right. That I, as a plaintiff, I am someone who was hurt mm -hmm. and injured and somebody else did it. Right. Somebody else's fault, whatever has happened. Yeah. And that's negligence. So that's what you're saying is I am saying that someone else did me wrong. And as a result of that, I am injured. And that in itself is a negligence case. Right. But it's not the same as something would be like an intentional. They intentionally did this. It's Correct. sort of the only other option, right? Like they yeah. unintentionally did this, but it negatively impacted me in this way. Right. So if you go out and you assault somebody, that's a crime. And right? an intentional tort. <laughs> but it's also an intentional tort, which means you can file a civil lawsuit for assault and battery, right. but you're proving that they intended to cause you harm and then did cause you harm. Right. In a regular negligence suit, which is the only, like you said, the only <laughs> other option, it's either an intentional tort where you meant to cause someone harm or it's negligence where you cause somebody harm. It wasn't that you meant to run over somebody on the side of the road. Whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's not what you meant to do, but it's what happened right. as a result of the way that you were driving. You weren't, yeah, right? Like an intentional tort. It's like oh, 10 points for a pedestrian, right? <laughs> but like, negligence is like, right. oh, I was just, you know, daydreaming and caused an accident. Yeah. So what's our third element? Okay. So the biggie, duty, right? breach of duty. And yes, the third one is truly the biggest and most complicated and where I think most of the negligence cases get stuck mm -hmm. or there are a lot of issues and ways of proof that, that do cause the 20, 80, hundreds of case law, right. you know, cases that become law as to what is this? And this third element, this third thing you have to prove is causation. Yes. So what do you think causation is? So if I, oh, hello, Charlie. Um, so sweet. I'm so sorry. I'm easily distracted by dogs. But so causation is saying that whatever your action or really with negligence, lack of action generally caused whatever injuries I have, whatever damages usually, right? You're saying that, oh, it was because you were negligent that my car is now damaged. It was because you were negligent that I now have to go see the chiropractor or whatever that is, right? Exactly. So the way that we phrase it in law is a but for relationship. Right. <laughs> but for your actions, this would not have happened. So if you had been driving safely, mm -hmm. this would not have happened. Because you drove unsafely, this happened. I am now injured. Right. So it's like that direct causation. Yes, exactly. You did this. So I am harmed. That is the causation mm -hmm. is there is no other way. This is exactly why I'm injured, which leads to the fourth of damages. So I am damaged. I'm injured. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at it, duty breach causation and damages, it's easy to prove damage. Right. I'm injured. There's right. medical bills, right? Exactly. I have medical expenses. I have lost wages. My car was totaled. Right. And that's, that's easy to prove. Right. You, you have pictures. You show up with a photograph. Mm -hmm. Here's what my car looks like. It is completely totaled. I cannot use it. My door came off. Right. 
that's damage. Here I am in the hospital. Here's the cast on my mm-hmm. arm. I am damaged. But what caused that damage? That's the big question, like I said, that a mm-hmm. lot of cases get hung up on. Right. So I think that the easier example, since we're using traffic <laughs> accidents, I think the easier example is like a pedestrian car accident, right? Yeah. If the pedestrian gets hit by the car, they're going to say, your reckless driving or your negligent driving caused my injuries Yeah, and spitballing. But the insurance company is going to say, well, you were jaywalking. Yes. That's the defense is saying, well, it wasn't my negligence. It was your negligence, right? That's exactly right. So the pedestrian says, this is, this is clear. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in a car. I was walking. This guy was a driver. He had a duty to watch out for people on the road. He breached that duty because he didn't watch out for me. I was hit. Right. He hit me. That's a cause. And the driver says, well, I wouldn't have hit you if you had been walking in the crosswalk. Right. I, I didn't know you were going to step off the sidewalk in the middle of the road where there right. was no crosswalk. So really, this is your fault and you caused the accident. Right. And that's hard to prove. You know, maybe the pedestrian one is a little bit more clear, but if there's two people driving on a highway and get into an accident, how, how do you prove who was being negligent? That is the trick. <laughs> is, you know, if especially in lane change cases, mm-hmm. these are one of the hardest types of cases to prove for traffic accidents is who had the right of way? Right. Which car should have been merging? which car merged into the other lane at -hmm. an improper angle at an improper time, they're going to be pointing fingers is I had the right of way. I could merge into your lane. You didn't let me merge and you caused my accident. The other guy says, no, I I had had the the right right of way. way. (laughs) You weren't supposed to be merging. Mm -hmm. I stayed in my lane. I didn't speed up. I was properly there. You merged into me. Mm-hmm. And the judge or the jury has to decide which one of them caused the accident. Who do they believe, essentially? Yes. Credibility. Yeah. I mean, now I think it's a, maybe a little bit different because there's traffic cams everywhere. There's businesses that have cameras outside. But I can't imagine, you know, even just 20 or 30 years ago when there just weren't as many cameras out in the world, that it really was he said, she said about who caused the car accident. It is, but it still is today. Mostly that. I mean, you have traffic cameras, you have other cameras, but let me tell you, trying to find them, get them, keep them, make sure that they actually were working properly Mm -hmm. is much harder than it seems. My clients come in and they say, oh, the bank across the road had it, or surely the traffic light took it, the police cameras, where? And did they keep it 30, you know, you just came to me 30 days later, it's probably written over. I have to find the right agency to contact to say, Hey, do you have the camera video request it? Do the request, hope that they have it, hope that they turn it over. I don't yet have a subpoena. So yes, there are a lot more cameras and a lot more videos out there, but whether I have access to them is a whole nother matter. And in the end, it really still comes down to what does my driver say versus what does the other driver say as to who had the right of way? Yeah. I feel like we've had a lot of cases. (laughs) We have. And Mm -hmm. like I said, especially with the, the lane merge cases, Mm -hmm. those are really hard 
to prove. And it's why a lot of plaintiff's attorneys don't necessarily take on those cases Mm -hmm. is, you know, yes, I believe you, but (laughs) Charlie's being super cute. You probably can't see him in the camera the way that we have it set (laughs) up. Um, but he is definitely, uh, getting himself comfortable on the couch next to Chelsea. Phil snuggled in. So we have, you know, the judge is having to decide. Mm -hmm. And if it's a, well, maybe Mm -hmm. it could be my driver who's believed. It could be the other driver who's believed. Mm -hmm. And because it's such a huge risk, a lot of attorneys don't like to take that risk because they, they can never guarantee money. They can never guarantee that their side will win, Mm -hmm. but it's a much bigger chance of a loss than it is of a win. Yes. Okay. So that that's causation. I think that makes sense. You have to prove that this person's actions are what caused the accident or whatever the negligence claim is. Seems simple. It would seem simple. It does, but But (laughs) you go ahead, but it's the proving it that's hard, right? It is for, for a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. We mentioned this, this very simple example, but in a lot of other cases, we get into much more complex areas of causation where did we'll talk about a surgery right right there's this horrible case it, i remember it in law school and maybe you saw it maybe you oh, didn't maybe. okay let's see but the surgeon who left a sponge in a patient do you remember this case i do i i do okay so for those of you who those aren't freak in law school, me out all of the surgery ones freak me out oh, i it's hate them terrible yeah the medical malpractice the medical yeah. negligence cases is this famous one of an, a doctor who operated on a patient and for some reason left a sponge in the abdomen or or whatever it Mm -hmm. was, closed them back up. The patient comes back, something's wrong. Well, nothing's wrong. And I don't remember how long it was later that they finally found out that this, it was a sponge that was left. So it it seems awfully clear Mm -hmm. that this is negligence, right? Mm -hmm. The doctor had a duty to, keep the patient safe and healthy, mm-hmm. do no harm. Yep. They breach that duty by leaving a sponge in the patient, right? right. You're not supposed to have a sponge and then in that, a patient. That's not the intentional thing, right? They didn't mean to, but no. it's still negligent. It is. It's something that shouldn't have been done. It was, whether it was by improper oversight, just not paying attention at the end, mm-hmm. whatever it was, it was improperly done and it ended up causing extra harm to the patient. So in this case, they had to prove that the surgeon's actions by putting the sponge or leaving the sponge in the patient was the cause of the extra injuries because they had so many medical complications and problems with the sponge still being in there. And think about it. They had to go back through another surgery. Yes. That's another set of damages right is a whole nother surgery right and i think that at least from what i've seen working with you is that anybody who has had any medical treatment for anything prior to whatever accident or claim they're bringing now that becomes defense material well, absolutely sure 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 i'm not i'm not debating whether or not you had this treatment you had these injuries but i'm just saying it wasn't from this accident it was from this other thing right Yes. And that's where we get into the real complications. So there's the easy traffic accident, Mm -hmm. the fairly clear medical malpractice, but let's drop in exactly what you're saying. 
we'll have a victim of a traffic accident who had prior back problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. This person had prior back problems. They'd been to a chiropractor before. They'd had a couple of PT sessions, physical therapy sessions. They weren't feeling that great. Traffic accident happens. They now have back problems. They go to another physical therapist. They have Mm -hmm. more physical therapy. They say, hey, this caused, this traffic accident caused my back problems. And they say, whoa, 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 whoa. You were seeing a chiropractor before the date of this accident. Yes. Can you specify which pain came from which accident? Which obviously you can't. Um, you Usually, well, yes and no. Not obviously, but possibly. Right, right. I just feel like it's harder, right? Like, especially mm-hmm. for people who are not medical professionals. If you say, you know, explain your back pain from this incident versus explain your back pain from this incident. Can you be like, I don't know, my back hurts, right? <laughs> and, and, and that's true is a lot of people are like, yeah. well, my back did, yes, my back hurt before and now it hurts again. But different. But different. Some people, if, you, if you're if you really good as a victim, um, as, a, as a witness, so to speak, and what I try to do with my own victims is say, okay, look, I get it. And I agree that your back hurt before and it hurt after. I need Mm -hmm. you to think of any other words. Don't make them up. You know, don't, (laughs) don't invent something, but is there a way that you can describe how it was feeling before that is different? Mm -hmm. If it's different than after the accident, did your back just hurt and it was kind of stiff before. And then after the accident, it was searing pain. Mm -hmm. It was pain that went down into my leg that wasn't happening before. But if they can find a difference to explain, that helps with causation to say, okay, there was some kind of pain before. But as a result of the accident, that caused additional pain, new pain, new medical care, new medical expenses that Mm -hmm. would not have been incurred if this accident hadn't happened. Right. And I think that goes towards a, a legal skill of whoever, you know, if you're doing this at a trial, whoever is directing, you know, the attorney who's asking those questions on direct, asking the right questions to get those specific responses. You know, you have to is you have to you have to ask the right questions and you have to talk with your client before you just throw them on the stand in front of the judge or the jury. Is, Even when you do, they might say some funny things. God bless. They really, they really do. Um, you, you can prepare and talk with your clients ages before and as many times as you can possibly think of. And they still surprise you with what they say on the stand. Yes. I think something that I didn't realize, it always seemed strange to me prior to law school that I was like, well, why would you need to talk, like prep a client for the stand? Because I was like, they just need to tell the truth. You're just going to get up there and ask them questions. Which they should. Which they should. Should be easy, right? Maybe, tell the truth. Truly. I'm like, this should be simple. Like, I don't understand why people need to meet with their clients. That just seems off to me. Um, let me tell you. <laughs> I completely understand it. Because I've seen you just go over when people have extensive medical records. You just kind mm-hmm. of review them. You know, sometimes these trial dates are years after the accident. Correct. So it's not even that you're like, oh, you need to say this. You're just kind of going through their medical records, reviewing what happened. Right. You need to remember if it's been two years, you won't remember the exact words that you used to describe your pain. You won't remember, was it a level nine out of pain or a level seven out of pain? And it's not that you're lying or you're making it up. You just need to review and remember so that when you're on the stand, you don't say, 
Uh, yeah, it makes so much more sense to me now because before I was like, well, you just, just tell the truth. What is there to prep? But now I kind of understand it more. And then even seeing after just a review of the records, a basic prep, they'll get up there and just say something different. They, they will. And out of left field, you just never know what's going to come out of their mouth. You, you really don't. And it's like try. relatable. I feel them because I just never know what I'm going to say next. And you don't. And that's, you know, that's why you have an attorney is yes. to, if you know, try to rein them in, try to make sure that they're keeping to the, the information that's relevant, mm-hmm. the information that they need to share. Um, my mom, I love her to death, but she would be the worst witness in the world. Um, I cannot imagine putting her on the stand because she says everything. Well, I, you know, it would be, well, I was driving down Greenland Drive and I was thinking about my, my brother's mother who. But then I had to change the radio station because a song came on that I just didn't like, but exactly. I had to go to the grocery store. So then I changed it back because I wanted to hear the weather report. And then, and then somebody <laughs> hit me and I couldn't understand what was happening. And I was thinking about my groceries yeah. and it would just be on and on. And it's not that it's bad and it's not that it's wrong, but it's way too much information. And the judge and the jury don't need to know about the radio station or about your mother's brother or about the grocery store. They need to know where were you going? How were you driving? Where were you driving? On what road were you driving? And then what happened? Right. And she needs to say, I was hit. And the next question needs to be, okay, by whom? And that's it. Yeah. But but it's people who like to share extra information because they're being they're being authentic. Even though I can see clearly, sometimes it's just not necessary. I think those are my favorite, specifically when we have like not directs but depositions with people yeah. who like to talk. I enjoy them. We have quite we have some characters that I think adds a little spice, a little flavor. They do. I <laughs> I love my clients. They're so interesting yes. um, and. For all of the hard stuff that we're dealing with, I mean, car accidents are really tough and injuries are extremely serious. So Mm -hmm. having the ability to view these, um, these accidents, these injuries, the the victims, and even myself Mm -hmm. in a more lighthearted way of, you know, we're not laughing at people. We're not laughing about injuries, but saying, okay, this is a really odd situation. This is an interesting piece of it. I'm odd. Um, let's yes. let's put all of these odd pieces together. And isn't this fascinating? Isn't this a really interesting case, a really interesting person? And how do we present all of these amazing, wonderful pieces of interesting people, interesting facts, mm-hmm. and very odd scenarios to a judge or a jury where we can say there was a duty, mm-hmm. there was a breach of right. duty, they caused this, mm-hmm. and now I'm damaged. Yes. So I think what you just said is the most interesting part to me is that how do you take all of these elements and the facts and your client and present them in a way that's the strategy, you know, we've talked about it before, sort of the, the, like the art side to Mm -hmm. the law. Um, and I don't know about you, but I know the most famous negligence case, right. And I'm sure everyone out there is like screaming it, right. It's the McDonald's coffee case, right. Mm -hmm. I think the story and the kind of narrative that's been changing, but was, oh my God, the plaintiff, what, spilled some hot coffee and got millions of dollars, right? From McDonald's. From McDonald's. They're just mm. going after deep pockets, right? That I mean... It is. It's And the story, especially growing up, yes. is 
Well, that's stupid. <sighs> Who in the, that's crazy that someone just spills coffee on themselves. Come on, you didn't know the hot coffee was hot, right? But, but that's, that is legal artistry and how it was presented and how it was framed because the facts of it are quite different, right? Well, the facts are really quite shocking. When you actually get into the case, it's in looking at the damages, they were extreme. She had skin grafts. Yes, on very private areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so for this woman, it wasn't a joke. Mm-mm. It wasn't funny. It wasn't, I just spilled coffee on myself. It was, yes, I spilled coffee, but while I was driving in the driver's seat in areas that nobody wants to have coffee Mm-mm. spilled on, and all my legs, my thighs, my private areas, and it was so hot that I had third degree burns mm-hmm. and had skin grafts. Who should who has coffee that hot? And that was the essence of the lawsuit of right. how hot that coffee was. Is it hot or is it burning? Yeah, and I think that was the interesting part is that because it is this big company, they do have standardized requirements, which I think maybe makes a negligence case easier of them saying these are the expectations. And it lists, you know, coffee needs to be served at this, you know, this temperature, all of those things. And I think that makes it really easy to say, well, your company requires it. It wasn't that. So there clearly is that breach, right? Right. If it's a company standard, then you say you held yourself out to this standard. Mm-hmm. You breached your own standard. That caused my injuries. So you're liable. Yeah. You owe me for the damage that you caused. The harder question, though, is, is there a, an industry standard? Let's go outside of McDonald's. Is there a standard for Burger King for right. all of fast food that says this is what the temperature should be mm-hmm. and you didn't have it at that temperature? Or should there be a standard? Right. And it should have been a standard. You should have held yourself to that standard. Right. And because you didn't, there are these significant serious injuries. Right. And so that comes to our fourth element of negligence, which is... The damages, right? <laughs> so if I say someone has a duty to, to operate their car safely, yeah, they didn't operate their car safely. It caused an accident, but there are no damages. I have no medical bills. My car doesn't even have a scratch on it. You don't really have a case for negligence, right? That's absolutely right. And it's a perfect example because, okay, you had a duty. You had mm-hmm. a breach of duty. You had a cause. Something happened. There was a wreck. But... If I wasn't physically injured and mm-hmm. I had no medical bills, just like you said, right. I had no lost wages, there was nothing on the personal physical end that I had to do, then that fourth element isn't met. I, I didn't have any personal damages. Right. Maybe you have property damage still. Your car was damaged. Right. Okay, you go after the property. But if you weren't personally injured, the negligence for a personal injury... If you just can't do anything. Correct. Gotcha. So, and that happens, that even happens in medical cases. Mm -hmm. And these are the really tricky ones is there was a breach. Mm -hmm. There was a cause of an extra surgery, something Mm -hmm. like that. But was it negligence or was the damage? Well, that would have happened anyway. Because of the injuries, the condition, Mm -hmm. the disease that you had, 
well, maybe you would have had another surgery anyway. So was that really a damage? Maybe you would have had another nerve injury. Was that Mm -hmm. really damage that was caused by somebody else? Or is it just, that's you that just happened to you. It was a natural progression of whatever disease and ailment that you had. Mm -hmm. And these, that's where the damage piece comes in is did it cause damage that you would not have had or you didn't have before? Yeah. So the damage has to be specifically related to that incident, right? Like incidents, yes. almost the causation for, okay, the negligence caused the accident, crash, surgery, whatever, but are the, da- are the damages you're claiming also a direct link to yeah. this incident, right? Are they related? Yes. And then that could be harder to prove than you would think. Like I said, I think of just all the different clients we've had who have like pretty minor sort of pre-existing conditions. Like they're not, they're just pretty healthy people and they've mm-hmm. maybe had, you know, in their lifetime, one previous car accident or whatever. Right. And that, that kind of becomes relevant now, even though it's kind of, from my opinion, like eye roll. Is it really relevant? I don't think so. But it it does when you're sort of making these arguments in front of it's a defense. The judge. Yeah. Th- that's what the defense has to do is pick away at it. Of, mm-hmm. Okay, you're damaged, but is it really because of this accident? Right. Is it really because of our negligence? Okay. We were negligent, but is that why you're really injured? Right. My favorite case, um, this is, yeah, you're going to laugh. My favorite case is actually, it's, it's a real and a fake case. I was in mock trial in undergrad a very long time ago, um, at middle Tennessee state. And then I had mock trials in law school as well. But my favorite mock trial case was one that was based on the Mount Everest disaster in 1996. Do you know about this? No. (laughs) It's okay. I'm old. But I think a lot of our listeners and viewers will because it is the um, Into Thin Air is the book that was that was written by John Krakauer, who was one of the climbers on Everest in 96 when this disaster occurred. And he wrote Into Thin Air to describe what happened. It was about the the whole trek, the trip. And it honestly is my favorite book. It's my absolute okay. favorite book of all time. Um, it's a biography, so to speak. And okay. I think I keep reading it, trying to understand what in the world happened. Okay. Why would people even climb Everest? I I don't understand that. Really? you would? Are you telling me if you had the chance you would not climb Mount Everest? I am absolutely telling you that. I might as well write a will and sell all my stuff and go to Everest because I'm going to die. That is me. If if it's someone is going to die on Everest, it is going to be me. I'm not going to go. Really? Like if someone was like came up to you today and said it's all of the gear, fully expense paid, you just have to say yes. You would be like, absolutely not. That's exactly what I would say. Come on. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. <laughs> no, it's it's absolutely true. I know too much about Everest in reading in in having this case. That's true. That's true. I read. I was a voracious reader. I read the Left for Dead book. I read K two everything. Okay, I read everything about climbing mountains and especially Mount Everest. And this case followed it where it was saying, okay, here are these two groups that went up to Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. Here are these people that went. 
And it was absolutely fascinating where it was a suit for negligence against one of the guides. Oh. Where a wife had brought it on behalf of her dead husband. Okay. Who had hired one of these guides who had said, hey, I'll give you all the equipment, all the gear. I'll take you up like the yellow brick road up to the top of Mount Everest. Okay, so the case, like like the real events in the and the book, and by the way, it's the subject of two movies. Um, There was a movie shortly after 1996, I think 99, called Into Thin Air that was made about it. I just completely missed. I don't don't know. And then there was the second one, more recent, within the last decade, called Everest. Kira Knightley was in it. Maybe I've seen it. She was she was the wife of one of the guides who died. I don't know. Anyway, I swear this is all relevant to negligence. Right, right, right. Um, but a little background. Um, because See, I just, I just have blind confidence. Like, I feel like if someone was like, look, <laughs> we have the supplies for you. You just have to say yes. And Chelsea like, I would die? I couldn't say no. I might actually survive because I know That's more true. about it and what not to do, whereas Chelsea would just climb the mountain. Because I couldn't say no. Like, fear of missing out. Like, complete <laughs> FOMO. FOMO. <laughs> like, I would regret it for the rest of my life. I was like, well, if this is how I go out, this is how I go out. Into your generation. It really is. <laughs> so, please don't climb Everest. And if you do, I'm going to wish you luck. You will no longer be employed because you're not coming back. I mean... Fair to be completely honest. And out of all the adrenaline sports, I think that's like the one I'm least interested in. It seems really cold. It's very cold. Like a lot of work. Like jumping out of a plane, you just have to get strapped to somebody, right? And you can just done, one and done. Right. It's quick. It's over very you're either alive or you're dead within what, an hour right. or less. You know, Everest seems like a bit of a commitment. <laughs> It is. Um, yeah, it really is a huge commitment. You're killing me today. Okay, but this negligence. Yes, the negligence with this. It was a suit based, a fake suit for negligence where the, the widow was okay. suing um, a guide who had brought her husband up into this climbing into this climbing group mm-hmm. and had led him to the top of Mount Everest. And while on this trip, he died. And she was saying this guide had a duty mm-hmm. right to my husband. He signed up with this guide who told him he would be responsible for leading him all the way up to Everest mm-hmm. and taking care of him, including with the oxygen tanks, yeah. all of the gear, the yaks, the Sherpas, everything else. Right. And he would safely get him there and down. So duty, breach of duty is Mm -hmm. he didn't come down. So, okay, I do have a question about this. Mm -hmm. Not knowing much about this. I would assume, like, anytime you do something that can be dangerous, right? Like, there is sort of an assumption of a risk, right? Yes. I know anytime I've done something dangerous. Look at that. I might actually be a lawyer one day. You might pass the bar. Everybody stay tuned. We're going to walk with Chelsea through the bar. That'll be an experience. Yes, it will. Um, okay, but so this was my question, that you generally sign some sort of liability waiver. Um, and I know just from law school that that doesn't mean that type of waiver does not absolve people completely from um, from liability. Learn not that in contracts. Yeah. Got that. But something like this, can you really say... The standard, right? Like the duty that we're going to hold you to is ensuring someone stays alive. Can you, I mean, <laughs> that is a great question. And that was the defense. Okay. Um, that's the defense in a real lawsuit like yeah. this. And in the fake one was, dude, 
You went to Everest. Right. That's did you inherently not know? <laughs> exactly. It's an inherently dangerous activity. You were climbing the highest mountain in the world. The first people who tried died. Right. I would think that I, like I mean, they the didn't causation thing. It's not. But for negligence, you would be alive. Yes. You could be perfectly follow everything by the book, have all of the, you know, oxygen chains, everything and still die. Right. Yes. You could fall victim to hate and haste this mm-hmm. high altitude pulmonary edema right high altitude cerebral edema i can't prevent that from happening to you right. you just got it right. that's you your body didn't handle the lack of oxygen very well so but for your hate and your haste that you just happened right. to get you wouldn't have died right and that's exactly the defense okay. is you assumed the risk <laughs> you knew it was a dangerous activity you knew you could die how many i mean Seriously, even though you don't know anything clearly about Everest, no, no. do you at least know that there are bodies? There are markers uh, still like, there. So people, I do know this, that the people who, again, trek on these hikes, that the mm-hmm. bodies that have been there for decades serve as markers on your way yes. up and down. I do know that because that seems wildly morbid to me and I'm slightly fascinated and, by it. But. but it is. And that's the reason I'm so fascinated with this too, is it is morbid, but it's absolutely fascinating is when you have bodies as your mile markers, uh, go past this blue one. How is that? Why do you do this? Right. And if you know that that is assuming the risk is like, okay, yeah. I'm going to jump out of an airplane. I know I could die. I'm assuming the risk. Right. But the question in this case was, all right, I've assumed the risk of climbing the mountain. But because you decided to do the trek to the top Mm -hmm. at a specific time of day, on a specific day, when a storm was coming, is that action enough to remove you out of the assumption of risk? Because you knew or should have known. Like if you're an expert, you're holding yourself out as an expert. Yes. You knew or should have known that that was an increased level of risk, right? Yes. And because you should have known, you put your climber at a higher risk of death Mm -hmm. or bodily injury by choosing that day, that time during that storm to still do the push to the summit. And because of those actions, not just the climb. And he's dead, so there's nowhere to know if he consented to that additional risk, right? Right. And how would you know if he knew that additional risk? The expert, the guide is the one who is supposed to have the information. I guess I'm imagining this like in a movie style, like Hollywood Mm -hmm. set, where the, you know, the guide is saying, I mean, we can get out there today, but it's going to be an extra risk. And you have this dude who like clearly likes adrenaline, like he's climbing Everest, right? He's like... Full send, let's do it, right? Yeah. This is what I'm imagining. I have to get to the top. I've that would be me. $60,000 to get to the top of Everest. Right. I'm going to get to the top of Everest. Yeah. So is it the person who just said, to heck with all of the risks, I'm going to get to the top? Right. Or is it the guide who said, I can still get you to the top? So that's what they argue about in court, right? Yes. That's, that's what it comes exactly down to. What it was is where is, where is that causation? Mm-hmm. Where are the choices and whose expertise was followed? Did you follow the guide? Did you not follow the guide? And was the guide's information improper and negligent? Okay. That makes sense. And in the end, who caused it? You know, was yeah. it ultimately the, the mountain? You got hate? You got haste? 
you died of altitude illness? This is such a small detail, but I think it would be important. Did they bring his body down? In the mock trial case, they did not. Because I would think that would be important because then you don't know how he died, right? Correct. You, can, you can't do an autopsy. That's a mystery for a mock trial. <laughs> <laughs> it is. You can't do an autopsy, so you don't have a medical examiner who says, oh, he got hate, he got haste, he got uh, frostbite or, right. or whatever. But in the end, there's the idea of, well, he froze to death in some way, whether mm -hmm. it was actual freezing, whatever the cause, it's clearly altitude related. Mm -hmm. It's clearly climate related, um, temperature related. Yeah. The question in a negligent suit is who caused it? Right. right but like, for. That makes sense. Whose actions this would not have happened. Okay. I would he have like, made it down? You no, know, I feel like that makes sense. Like, like you said, it was skydiving, which I've done. Mm -hmm. I signed course, a light. Of course, of course, Chelsea has done that. Yes. Of I mean, course. yes, it was super fun. But like when I signed the liability waiver, it was with the understanding that because the first three times you skydive, mm -hmm. you have to do it tandem. So you have no control. You're just literally like strapped to some guy's stomach. Like you're just right. hanging out. <laughs> right. <laughs> but my understanding when I signed that waiver and it was true. Obviously I'm alive. It was signed is that these people are experts. They show you their yes. certifications, but if for some reason I had signed that waiver and then we get up in the airplane and the dude's like, actually it's my first time too. <laughs> then it would sue them. Right. Like that. If something, if something happened to you, then yes. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you like, that's a different risk than what you think maybe you're agreeing to. Absolutely. And that's a really good example of maybe they were an expert, yes. but they didn't properly prepare the parachute. Right. Well, you didn't consent to them negligently preparing the parachute where right. when you pulled, it didn't come out and right. now you're dead and your family's suing on your behalf. You clearly, according to what your attorney yeah, says yeah. in front of the jury is she clearly didn't consent to an expert. Not behaving like an expert. Not properly fitting out a parachute. And then that gonna... wasn't an assumed risk. The assumed risk was skydiving is an inherently dangerous activity. Right. But it's especially dangerous if your expert doesn't properly prepare a parachute. You can't sign that liability away. Right. And that's the negligent behavior okay. of but for this person properly preparing the parachute that mm -hmm. should have saved you. Right. You had no parachute. You went smush. You are now dead. That's your damages. And so just make sure to demonstrate that in mm -hmm. like in court, say we're, you know, full trial to demonstrate mm -hmm. that you would have other people who are skydiving experts oh, come yeah. and say, I, as a reasonable skydiving expert, this is not a reasonable mistake. Sometimes reasonable mistakes are made, but this is not one of them. Perfect. Right? You're, Look at that. You are absolutely right. I'm so the, proud of you. Virginia boarding bar examiners. Look. Can I substitute this for like taking the bar? I think you should. That's a very, very good explanation of what has to happen. Look, th this is giving like Elwood's video essay. Like I'm just going to send it to them and request they just admit me. We'll do the legally blind thing. <laughs> really? Yes, we can do that. Okay. We'll, we'll try. Look at that. But no, okay. So that makes mm -hmm. sense is that the idea of sure. Some mistakes happen that are kind of sometimes just happens, right? Yes. And, sometimes stuff does happen. Yes. But there's like reasonable and unreasonable sort of mistakes, right? Okay. Yeah. It's it, like you're saying, I think that's a really good point. 
for, for everyone mm-hmm. to know is it's the reasonable person standard. Mm-hmm. What would a reasonable expert right. have done in that case? Not would a reasonable person would do you as a reasonable person would hire an expert yeah would go with somebody in tandem but what would a reasonable expert have done and yes somebody else who's a skydiver who's an expert in skydiving would take the stand and say here are the things that you have to do as a skydiving expert you need to prepare your parachute in this way if you haven't prepared it Mm -hmm. in this way that is that's wrong. It's outside of our standard of care. It is not reasonable for this person to have prepared the parachute in this way. It was wrong. It violated this Mm -hmm. rule, this code, this standard that we have in the industry. Just like, I mean, medical malpractice with doctors, right? Like you don't bring in just any person to say, well, reasonable person. No, you Mm -hmm. say a reasonable doctor would not have done that, would have taken this life-saving measure or Mm -hmm. whatever, right? Absolutely. What, what would a, what would a reasonable doctor have done to save the life? Would CPR have been performed? I don't know. I don't know. You and I don't know. Maybe, I mean, it seems like maybe you should have done CPR, but a doctor would know a doctor Mm -hmm. in that circumstance. So is it an ER doctor, another professional, Mm -hmm. you know, specialized doctor? What would that doctor have done if they saw these particular symptoms? Would CPR have been performed Mm -hmm. or not? And if so, an expert would say, I'm a doctor in a similar field or the same field. This is the standard of care. When you see these symptoms, X, Y, Z has to be done. He only did X and Y. Z wasn't done. So he's dead. Okay. This is totally a random question for you. No, no, it's good. It's It's always, always the random. Go ahead. Look, it's a good question. I feel like. So because you've been a lawyer for a significant amount of time, you've done well in your field. Thank you me. could be an expert, right? Have you ever, t- I, this is my question. Sorry. <laughs> Let me, uh, oh, I love this. String the sentence together. Have you ever testified sort of as an expert witness? I have not. It we'll is have to big- add that to the bucket list. If anyone would like someone to testify as an expert witness, I want to watch, but Virginia will testify. <laughs> I don't know what I would testify to. Um, it's, it's hard as an attorney to be a legal expert. Right. Because most of what I would have to testify about as an expert would be what would a reasonable attorney have done. Right. Um, so I don't know if it would be like an ethics breach. That's what I was kind of thinking, imagining in my head was, you know, if someone is saying that, I, I don't know how that would actually play out. It's, it's hard. I don't see, no. I don't know of many lawyers who are expert witnesses. We usually hire expert right. witnesses, someone in construction, someone, a doctor, a accident reconstructionist, right. all of these other people who have expertise in other fields and industries, but the legal industry usually doesn't have experts testifying unless yeah. it's some kind of legal malpractice suit. Or even academia, maybe some sort of like expert in con law, like your dad or something like that. Right. It's fascinating. But I would, I would love to be a witness at some point in my life. I think that would be fun. I mean, not like I'm going to go out of my way to, to be a witness, but I, I do think to be on that side of it would be absolutely fascinating. I have a theory, not about you in particular, but I just think having an attorney as a client or as a witness would not be as fun as you would think. It's not. Right. And I can't, I don't, I have hired a few attorneys of my own for various reasons in my life. And I, I don't envy my attorneys. I really don't because I feel like I know things, right? I, 
I know how to do it. I'm an attorney. I know what to do. I can't go. I mean, I can go in and represent myself, but it's really not a good idea. What's the adage? Um, A lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client, right? Yes. And and I would be a fool. I, I don't know things about education law. I don't know anything about education law. Now, I know how you should do it direct. But I don't know anything about education law. So I need an education attorney. I don't know how to draft my own business agreements. I have an idea. I think I know contracts fairly well enough. But for the specific language that needs to be in there, there's someone who knows it more. There's a business law attorney who's been practicing business law a lot longer than I have. I'm going to consult them. But I'm. it's hard. But the attorney that you had as a client... Was a really nice client, even though. Yes. So embarrassing. So embarrassing. I did not know she was an attorney. And I'm just calling her, you know, this is Chelsea from blah, blah, blah office. And discovery is a legal term. (laughs) But I proceed to explain to this woman in the most just layman's turn. Which is what we normally do. Most people don't know. Right. And she, again, so nice. Let me completely get through my spiel. And then I'm asking her the discovery <laughs> questions. And I'm like, where are you employed? And she says, lead counsel. And I kind of think, and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I had just, it would be like talking like in baby talk to somebody who's just like a linguistic ex- expert, but she was so nice about it. She was. And you don't know. And most of our clients are not attorneys. So <laughs> you did exactly what you were supposed and she to let do. Me, she let me completely, you know, I guess good practice, but she let me get through my spiel about what discovery was. <laughs> so sweet. I had one. My favorite was I had on behalf of one of my clients, mm-hmm. I had filed a suit against another driver, a car accident case, and the driver was an attorney. Okay. The defendant was an attorney. And let me tell you that deposition was one of the best, most interesting depositions I have ever done in my life. Um, I'm trying not to curse here. So the guy was an absolute jerk. Really? I mean, he, he, it kind of like me, he thought he knew what the law was and what it should be and how he wasn't negligent. So in the deposition, he presented as a pompous, arrogant jerk Yeah. for his presentation. So I, you know, you, you tailor your questions and your mm-hmm. attitude and your appearance and your own presentation right. to the people that you're talking to. And so I went into the very nice mode of, oh. Okay, well, that's really interesting. Would you tell us more about that? And this guy, the more he talked, the more arrogant he became, the more jerkish he became. And by the end of it, he seemed like the most arrogant fool who there ever was. And we settled, um, you know, you these, there's an attorney representing this attorney and I'm an attorney Mm cross-examining an attorney. So everybody's an attorney in the room. But within weeks, I talked to the attorney representing the attorney, and I was like, look, your client is not a good witness. The judge and the jury are going to hate him. And it's not because he's a bad person. And the way he comes off. Right. He seems like he really is a good, competent attorney. But because he's an attorney and because of the way that he's approaching it as an attorney, he looked like an awful person who really had almost purposely caused this injury and it's not like he purposely caused the wreck but it the way that he came across was so poor 
that it, it just ended up settling because that was how he, he presented. Yeah. I think it's interesting. A small part of what you said of the, so I changed, so you said, you know, I changed my technique on how I'm asking questions. This is something I learned recently in one of the, like the trial skills courses I've taken was the, the, pre, the presenter, presenter, presenter. I don't know what just <laughs> happened. I just, the presenter. <laughs> Go ahead. The woman's speaking. <laughs> She called it very similar, but what she called it was like the, the Columbo approach is mm. that she said she just pretended to be when, you know, cause I think of cross-examination a lot of times, this is really intense. Um, like if you think legally blonde with like chutney on the stand of like, didn't you like that whole, like very intense. And it can be, and it can and be great times to do that. But really the, good times. But that's what she said. She was like, that works occasionally. She's like, my default is the Columbo. It's really disarming to people who are kind of being more aggressive. Is it like, oh, oh, can you tell me more about that? Just kind of pretending to be clueless essentially. And that it kind of puts the other person off of their like aggression and that it works really well. And that's kind of what you're saying of just like the, oh, like the feigning interest almost. Let them dig their own grave, so to speak, is let them bury themselves. One of my favorite, um, that was one of my favorite depositions, but one of my favorite uses of my own Columbo moments is I look like I'm 17. <laughs> Let's be honest. I am not, I'm over 40, but I really look as young as the number of years that I've practiced. So when I go in and attorneys mm -hmm. who don't know me, they've never seen me. They think I'm the intern or they think I'm a brand new attorney. And I use that sometimes. And one of my favorites was a, an attorney who came in and he was blustering of I'll do this and I'll do that. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that, that, that's concerning. I, I don't know that I want you to do that. Well, I'm just going to take it to trial. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's do that. And then we go to trial and for that particular trial, I mean, it just creamed the poor guy as it, it just, it was a smashing success for me in the courtroom for a trial. Right. And the guy didn't, he had no idea what had just happened because he made a poor assumption. Let the assumptions work for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no point in refuting, like you said, lean in. Yeah. It, so it was like Columbo. I act like I don't know anything. I act like I'm brand new and I have no idea what's happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is very scary for me is, oh, oh, no, please don't take it to trial. When it's absolutely the thing that I want more than anything. Yeah, please. Let's <laughs> go to trial. Bring it on. But. It was, that's so funny because like, <laughs> again, that's like your expertise. Like, I mean, that's what, like you are so good at trials. That is what you practiced, you know, undergrad in law school was trial stuff. Yeah. And so for that, just to me, that's very entertaining. Just the thought of somebody being like, well, I'm going to take a trial. Oh, okay. okay. Bet. <laughs> Game on. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who meet me later, I'm happy to go to trial. I really am. I won't tell you that, but I really don't mind the legal strategy here. I love it. It is. It's a lot of legal strategy. So when you bring yes. a negligence case, you want to yeah. make sure that you have an attorney who understands legal strategy, understands the elements, the things mm -hmm. you have to prove for a negligence case and is able to walk a judge or a jury through mm -hmm. those four pieces yeah. to prove your case. Yeah. I think that I mean, you summed it up. Perfect. You know, find an attorney that you trust who you think is going to be able to do that well. Um, look at that. I feel like we covered a lot today. I think we did. So back to the basics. <laughs> Here we are. The law and scripted going yes. back to the basics. We've now hit the elements of what is negligence. Mm -hmm. How do you prove it? 
and hopefully shown you how you might be able to be successful in bringing a negligence case with a with a good attorney. Yes. Um, I, we hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a lot. If you have any other questions about something we covered, um, something we can elaborate more on, please drop them. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Um, there's a new podcast on The Law Unscripted every Tuesday, and every Friday you can join us for The Legal Weekly Wine, where we cover sort of the latest and greatest legal headlines and dive into those. Um, but we're so glad to have you all joining us, and we really appreciate any, you know, feedback that you can give us so any suggestions as to something that you want to know because this is truly about yeah everything you don't know don't understand and no one ever told you right so anyway have a great day happy new year and check us out for tarani law because you never need a lawyer till you do